0: Had a chance to meet them at uh, Logan and Alexa Hodges. They're back over here. Their hands raised. Make sure you get a chance to to meet them. Um, also, it's good to have back in our presence uh, Danley and Chloe and Oliver Queen.
1: Of our uh, closing prayer and then be dismissed to bible class let's pray lord god we thank you so much for this day that you've given to us uh, to be able to gather together as believers and to worship you this morning and this afternoon we uh, pray as we are dismissed into our bible classes now that we will uh, uh, take something from your word tonight uh, from what is taught uh, from the teachers and From your word and uh, be able to apply it to our lives and take that message out as we go about our week and uh, share the good news of your son with others uh, as we come into contact with them. We thank you for all the many blessings that we have uh, that come from you. We uh, praise you and we glorify you for those things and we thank you most of all for your son and his death on the cross and the eternal life that we can have uh, through that sacrifice. We ask all this thing in Jesus name. Amen.
0: Good evening. Glad uh, we can be here once again uh, to further our knowledge about uh, our God and, his, and what He has revealed to us this evening. Uh, this being the last Sunday in uh, the book uh, or the month of July, got this in here somewhere, which means we're going to be wrapping up our study of uh, ancient laws for the modern day. Once again, saying that morality is based off of what God has consistently said about something, not what we're expected to conform to, but rather what we ought ought to transform our lives according to. Thus far, we have looked at uh, partiality and the dangers of prejudice and not mimicking the biblical uh, pattern in the New Testament, Uh, abortion, and that God has always felt a strong disdain towards the the shedding of innocent blood. Uh, Last week... Uh, Jacob led and demonstrating the ob- ob- objectivity of, or on the, of the basis of our discussions, which is the Word of God. And today we're going to look at one uh, final moral issue, which people are, are beginning, or have been, accepting more and more, and that is the sin of uh, homosexuality or homosexual acts. In popular culture, we are expected to be accepting and understanding of this issue and to not uh, to not question or to not judge or speak out against anyone who is engaged in this lifestyle. However, again, this is an ancient law that God has never changed on, and so this is also something that the Christian ought to be un- unchanging on as well. As I've been doing it, we're going to paint a full picture of what the Bible has to say about this, and then we're going to examine some objections that, that those on the other side of this issue might have, and we'll see how this can fit into some of our thinking in a mo- modern society. Turn, if you would, to uh, Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We are uh, obviously approaching the earliest days of mankind whenever coming here. God has created the heavens and the earth. He has filled it with all sorts of living creatures. He has formed man uh, in his own image. But concerning man, there is a problem presented to God which he is going to have to deal with. Look at Genesis 2 beginning in verse 18. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground uh, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, and every bird of the air, and brought 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 them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not a helper found comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept and he took out one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of a man. Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So God created... All of these animals, he gave the, uh, Adam the job of, of choosing the name for all, the, all these animals, but uh, the problem was that of all of these creatures, there was not uh, one that was a suitable helper or suitable companion for uh, Adam. So God takes one of Adam's ribs as he slept, he made it into a woman, a suitable helper or companion for, for him. So simply, what we take from this is that in the beginning, God made them male and female, And there is no implication here or anywhere else that this was a suggestion. If God had made Adam and another male, then again, they'd run into the same problem. There wouldn't be a a helper or companion suitable for for him. Woman was the only suitable companion for man. And that order has never changed. Remember what God said about his creation whenever he uh, had finished it? what, What did God think about his finished creation? It was good. He, he makes things one by one, saying, this is good, this is good, this is good. And he gets to the final end of it, and he and he's looks at all that he had created, and he came to the conclusion that it was indeed very good, Genesis one thirty one. And while the event uh, of the creation of woman is given in chapter 2, as opposed to chapter 1, uh, whenever God cre- considered his creation to be very good, woman was already created at, at that point. Genesis one twenty seven says, male and female, he, he created them. We are only given the details about that in chapter 2. So God considered man and woman together to be a very good thing. It does not feel the same way when man and man or woman and woman try to do that which was only meant for man and woman. Look at Genesis 19. Genesis 19. The heading for my Bible in Genesis 19 is Sodom's depravity. Uh, We see exactly what made them so depraved, In Genesis 19, verses 1 through 5, it says, Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night, and wash your feet that you may rise early and go on your way. They said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house, and they called Lot, saying, "Where are these? Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out so that we may know them carnally." The New King James says that we may know them carnally. Uh, that, that's Really sort of an, an addition, but it helps us to know exactly what it is uh, that their, their intentions were. The NASB says that we may have relations with them. The NIV, unsurprisingly plainly, says so that we, we may have sex with them. Those phrases are there to help us know exactly what, 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 what they meant, what, what they wanted. Um, but we know that often in the Old Testament when it says to know someone, it's talking about a, a sexual interaction there. So it is obvious that this homosexual behavior was a common thing in the city of Sodom. Did you notice how strongly Lot encouraged them to to stay with with him that night? They said, you know, we'll we'll spend the night in the open square. And I I can almost hear Lot saying, you know, you really don't want to be caught in the open square past sundown. He knew it went down in that depraved city that he chose to live in. what is God's reaction to their depravity? Well, what, what, what is his reaction to them being unashamed of, of these things? Well, you look down at chapter 19, 12 and following, we see that Sodom and Gomorrah will end up in, in ruin. Genesis nineteen twenty four and 25, Then the Lord rained down brimstone and fire, and Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So we overthrew those cities, all the, the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. God dwelt, uh, dealt swiftly with them. There's no denying what his opinions of their actions and their attitudes were. Look at Leviticus 18. Leviticus 18 is all about laws concerning sexual morality, uh, all the things that the children of Israel were, uh, or ought not to do. And as is in our day, homosexuality was a problem in theirs as well. Look at chapter 18 and verse 22. Moses says, you shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. So what exactly is God's opinion of homosexuality activity? That it is an abomination. And that word abomination is a very strong, strong word. If we were to define it in biblical terms, it would be uh, something along the lines of that which is utterly detestable in the sight of God. God gives no leeway on this matter. This is something that, that he hates, that, that he despises. Uh, yet We have people who preach a message that says that God is all love, all comfort, all forgiveness, and forget that he has moral standards and justice. Uh, God is love, and he loved his creation so much that he was willing to reveal those things that he liked and those things that he disliked. So uh, that we may know how to please them, so we may know how to uh, spend an eternity with them. And one of the... Uh, one of the things that he said uh, about my, is that this practice is an abomination. Now, chapter eighteen twenty-two is the principle. We're also given the Old Testament consequence for this thing in Leviticus 20 and verse 13. Over there, if you would. Chapter 20 and verse 13. It says, "...if a man lies with a male as he lies with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination." They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. So the punishment for committing the sin was sure death. Some would say that that's harsh, but God had, had set his standard for them. So that, therefore, they didn't really have an excuse for whenever they, they committed it. He, he said their blood shall be upon them. Well, I thought God was God of grace. He is. His grace extends to the fact that we are not immediately struck dead whenever we sin because the wages of sin is death. Uh, if he weren't a god of grace, then Adam, Adam and Eve would not have been able to leave the Garden of Eden alive. That's not to say that I'm not thankful that Leviticus 20:13 is not something that is not something that uh, no longer a law that we have to live under today. But we'll get into that a bit in a bit more. Look we'll at Romans chapter one. So we see with what the Old Testament stance on uh, homosexuality is. And those same principles are going to be reiterated in the New Testament as well. In Romans chapter 1, Paul is, is laying his, his case against the Gentiles. He is, he's going to follow up that beginning in chapter 2 with laying his case against against the Jews. But uh, look with me beginning in Romans 1 and verse 18. He said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, unrighteous, and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what... Uh, may be known of God as manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal uh, power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile, and their foolish, uh, foolish hearts were darkened. "...professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like a corruptible man and, and birds and, and forfeited animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness and the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the crea- uh, cre- cre- creature rather than the creator, who was blessed forever." For this reason God gave them up to vile passions for even the women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burn in their lust for one another men with men committing that which is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due and even as they did not retain God of their knowledge, God gave them up to a debased mind to do things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, str- uh, strife, deceit, e- evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, they are backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God... That those who practice these things are deserving of death, and this is important, not only uh, do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. So, Paul says a lot in this section, but in the middle of all of these grievances that he lays out against the Gentiles, he speaks about them performing unnatural acts. Their women exchange the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing that w- w- which is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty uh, for the error which was due. So in, in many ways, uh, or many want to say that, that, that God was what was harsh in the Old Testament, but now he's loving in the New Testament. But Paul says that these uh, homosexual men were, were to receive the penalty for the error which, which was due. There is retribution in the New Testament, as we saw this morning, as there is in the Old Testament. So Paul says that these things were unnatural and that they're sinful. Well, you know, what what does Paul know? Who who made him an authority? Look look at chapter 1 and verse 1 of Romans. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. He received his authority as an apostle from Jesus Christ. So, and we'll talk about this in a bit, or more, more later, but these may as well be the words of Jesus as Paul is both his apostle and an inspired writer. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. As we come to uh, this chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul it has already addressed their lack of unity in chapters 1 through 4. He has and will continue to speak on uh, sexual immorality. And in chapter 6, verses 1 through 11, is a section that that often goes forgotten among all of the, the, the problems that existed at the church in Corinth. Paul here is addressing legal matters, about how they shouldn't be taking each other to court, that they should be letting the church judge between their matters. And if need be, it would be better for someone to take a physical loss than for the world to see brother in Christ, taking brother in Christ to a pagan court over physical things. And in verses 9 through 11, he's listing out all the things that uh, they used to do and the things that the people who still run, ran the court still did. Look at, uh, or someone if you would, read First Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11. Now, as a side note, notice uh, at least in the New King James, Paul listed homosexuals and sodomites separately. Two options here: number one, homosexuals is the active partner, whereas sodomites is the passive partner. I don't really want to get into too much to that. Uh, or number two, homosexuals is, uh, and this David's tra- translation kind of brought this up more, um, but homosexuals is the person uh, who is actively engaged in a homosexual lifestyle. And the sodomite is, is, is just the guy who acts more effeminate. Uh, those are two options. I don't really think they're all that germane to our discussions to really get into depth about. Uh, by the way, you want to know how depraved Sodom was? It had its own sin named after it. So simply from this passage, Paul states that homosexuals will not enter into the kingdom of God. Continuing in these activities will either uh, cause you to, to not or prevent you from attaining salvation or it'll cause you to lose your salvation. It's crystal clear. And you would think that this is an indisputable fact from these verses uh, that we just read, but but as we're going to see, some would even deny that. But notice, notice again what Paul said in verse 11. He says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Such were some of you. You know what that tells me? That tells me that this kind of lifestyle is... A choice. I'm, I'm not talking about if people are born this way or not. I'm not talking about if it's a nature thing or a nurture thing. Uh, it's obvious that at, at some point, at least th- these people do have these unnatural feelings. But what this tells me is that the people who, who do have these feelings can choose whether or not to act upon those, those feelings. See, so the attitude that I have often seen is well, since I have these feelings, I must then act upon them. That's not true. You have the ability to d- deny temptation in, in this field the same way that you have for any other. This also tells me, and there shouldn't have been any question about this, but this tells me that this is a sin that that can be repented of and washed away as well. But but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. God's working in the waters of baptism shows no partiality as to which sins he does and does not uh, wash away. We'll get to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul here is uh, beginning to write to his son in the faith, Timothy... ...telling him to remain in Ephesus, to establish some roots there... ...and to constantly encourage the brethren. And as he he does in verses 5 through 11... ...Paul speaks about uh, the the use of the old law like he does in other places. About how the purpose of the commandments are are our love... ...and and that it is beneficial if used properly. Look at uh, verses 8 through 11. He says, "...but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. So, sodomites here is listed alone, but but he says they are among those who the law dealt strictly with, and is contrary to sound doctrine. From the beginning of time, God had been establishing what is and what is not sound doctrine. And uh, this, is a practice, this practice goes against all that he has always said. Again, from the beginning, they were made male and female. And he continued to spread that message in various ways uh, of a man and a woman being together. And, and to stray from that is to stray from sound doctrine. Finally, look at the book of Jude. Here we have the short, what, what we would call one chapter or one yeah, chapter um, book of, of the book of Jude. Though in reality, all of the New Testament epistles were really one chapter uh, epistles. But Jude wanted to write to the brethren to exhort them to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Verse three. Uh, but certain men crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the race of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and Lord uh, Jesus Christ. Verse four. So he wanted to write about one thing, but but something else was more needful for them to hear. So that in verses three and four are kind of the, the thesis verses for this letter. In verses five through nineteen is a, a long, detailed description of these false teachers. He's going to exhort them to continue in the faith in verses 20 through 23. And he's going to end on a doxology or a a praise to God in verses 24 and 25. But 5 through 19 is is the meat of the letter. And he's going to be using a whole lot of allusions in the book. Meaning that he makes various references to past events that are supposed to trigger the minds of uh, the readers. And he makes a comparison between these false teachers and these past events. One of the allusions... Is something that we've already mentioned this evening. Someone, if you would, read uh, verse 7 of the book of
1: Jude.
0: So as Sodom and Gomorrah were examples of God's vengeance, so it will be on these false teachers as well. Um, but notice what the exact reason for their destruction was. Number one, they uh, gave themselves over to sexual immorality. Number two, they went after strange flesh. Strange flesh. What, what, what could that possibly mean? I probably won't ask us all, all this often, but is anyone reading from the ESV who would be willing to read? So pursued unnatural desire. Remember what Paul said in Romans one: their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, the men, leaving the natural use for the women, burning their lust for one another. It's clear what the sin of Sodom, and Gomorrah, uh, what what they were known for. Does anyone know what what people sometimes want to try to twist and say the sin of Sodom actually was? Being ungodly. Being ungodly so just a general uh, ungodliness, but. Bit, bit more uh, uh, detailed here. Anything else?
2: They showed a lack of hospitality.
0: Yeah, that's, that's one that I, I, I've heard more than that, that uh, among Sodom and Gomorrah, they, they were not hospitable. I'm sure there was plenty of unhospitality going, going along there, um, but it, it, next time someone is inhospitable, call them a sodomite and see if they think that you're using that, that, that term correctly or not. Um, Jude says that their, their, their sexual immorality and going after strange flesh, New King James, was their defining sin. And he, like so many others, gives the end result of this lifestyle. The end result is suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah were killed with fire from heaven. That fire eventually died out. And fire, Jude talks about, uh, is one that is said to never die, die out. It is uh, eternal. So that is again uh, the biblical data on the topic of homosexual, uh, homosexuality and homosexual practices in the scriptures. Now I want to transition into, into some of the objections that people make who are proponents of homosexuality being a feasible lifestyle for the Christian. Uh, those who say that you can be both a practicing Christian and a practicing homosexual. And we're going to move on to uh, objections from uh, the other side. And in respect to the writings of Paul... Does anyone know what the uh, prevailing uh, objection and him condemning homosexuality is? It was a first century problem. Yeah, it was a first century problem. The first is um, that he wasn't condemning homosexuality as a whole, but rather a a cultural practice using uh, young boys. And the technical term for what they're referring to is called pederasty. And it's disgusting, and it was something that happened. And... uh, and basically, it was a cultural practice during the, this, this Greco-Roman war, culture where heterosexual men, not homosexual men, would use young boys for sex. So, what the other side will say that Paul is basically saying is, how dare you heterosexual men engage in this practice which is only for those who have a homosexual orientation, those are the words that they put in the Apostle Paul's mouth. And there are numerous problems with this line of argumentation. Number one, if Paul were trying to address that, he would have. Um, he, he would have been specific about what he was saying. Do we know Paul to be someone who, who, who generally cloaks what, what he was actually saying under these general terms. No, Generally, you know, if he had something to say, say he would say it. Uh, he would con- condemn this practice specifically and not under this blanket term of, of homosexuality. Number two, in Romans uh, 1, as we saw, Paul addressed women engaging in unnatural w- acts with other women. So, if all Paul was saying was for Heterosexual men to stop engaging with these acts with young boys, why exactly would he say anything about women with women in Romans 1? Those who push this agenda, I guess we're hoping we would just skip over that. Number three, this is an evidence- evidenceless assertion. You can make assertions all day. I can say that, that the sky is red or that the earth is flat, but if I don't give any evidence for my assertions, it doesn't hold up. Um, I must present evidence to back up my claims, and the evidence for this claim simply does not exist. This is what people want to believe, therefore they are willing to look past the lack of evidence here uh, so that they can push their narrative. So as far as Paul addressing some kind of cultural practice and not homosexuality itself, I'm afraid not. Uh, That's number one. I'm sure you... Oh, go ahead. I was going
2: to say, I didn't mean to... Oh, you're good. where everything stopped but verse 50 talks about their their haughtiness and their abominations before god so that gets brought up and they were you know sodom was inhospitable sodom had these problems but not the ones that you say and in order to do that you have to pull a verse out of context and ignore everything else around it
0: right it's amazing what we see when we just keep on reading (laughs) sometimes all right appreciate that um so that, that, that's the first one as far as uh, Paul's use in the New Testament. Number two, I'm sure you've heard this one, is that uh, Jesus never addressed homosexuality. And I guess the implication here is that um, to him, it wasn't an issue, uh, since silence apparently means admission. A few things about this uh, argument. Number one, Jesus did address homosexuality. Uh, he addressed it in Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 whenever he talked about marriage. Uh, turn your Bibles to Matthew 19 if you would. This being, I think, the, the chief section that we come to in speaking about uh, marriage and divorce, another topic that I could have chosen for, for this month. Uh, but look at uh, Matthew 19, verses 1 uh, through 6. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and a great multitude followed him, and he healed uh, them there. The Pharisees also came uh, to him, testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, have, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus is asked about the lawfulness of, of a man divorcing his wife for just any reason. And what does he do? He, he throws it back to the begin, where, where we, we began. He, 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 again, an allusion to the, the creation narrative. He says, he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. Well, there you go. What kind of unit did, did, did Jesus approve of? That which was between a man and a woman. He also continues to talk about how uh, a woman and a man uh, leave their families and are joined together. And it is that which God has joined together. Uh, this tells us that that God is the author of marriage, not man. And because he is the author of marriage... He gets to define marriage. Uh, and how he has defined marriage is, again, between a man and a woman. That, union, that is the union that God has joined together. And if people want to redefine marriage, it makes sense that uh, that is not a union that God has joined together. A marriage between a man and a man or a woman and a woman is not a different kind of the same thing, but it's a completely different thing than what God has joined together, what he has approved. That's what Jesus talks about in places like Matthew 19. So first, to answer this argument that that Jesus never addressed it, well, first off, he did. Another thing, he never explicitly said anything about men with men and women with women that we have written down for us. Uh, It was John who ended his his, uh, gospel account by saying... And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if uh, they were written one by one, I suppose that, that even the world itself could not contain the books that were, would, be, would be written, John 21, 25. I would imagine that there might have been a time where Jesus did address this explicitly, but we don't have it in writing. But regardless, uh, he did address it when he addressed marriage as being between a man and a woman. Number two, Jesus is a member of the Godhead. Jesus is a member of the Godhead. See where I'm going with this? 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, uh, some of us know it well. All scriptures are given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for a proof, for correction, for instruction, and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So are we saying that scripture is only inspired by the Holy Spirit? Now, are we saying that, that the Holy Spirit has a different opinion of homosexuality than God the Father and Jesus does? Uh, you, see, so you, you cannot truly separate any of the persons of the Godhead. The Father is not the Son, and He's not the Spirit. The Son is not the Father, He's not the Spirit. Uh, the Spirit is not the Father, He's not the Son, but they're all God. Uh, Jesus was, was there when man and woman were created and unified. He was there and raining down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. He was there when, and approved of uh, when Moses said, You shall not lie with a male as with a woman, it is an abomination. And he was there in approving when Paul uh, condemned the unnatural acts of the Gentiles. You cannot create divisions between the members of the Godhead where they do not exist. If they disagree on something, then they would cease to be one, which is an impossibility. So whenever Paul or Jude condemned uh, homosexuality, each member of the Godhead was putting their stamp of approval on those words. If you say otherwise, you're either saying that the Godhead is not unified... Or you're saying that not all of scripture is inspired. Uh, If you try to make a division uh, against Jesus and the writers of scriptures, then this whole book is compromised. Makes sense. Final argument that's used. Number three, teaching against homosexuality is unloving. And this is, uh, uh, the answer to this is simple. We have clearly seen that the word of God, uh, from the word of God, that a lifestyle of homosexual activity results in eternal destruction. Jacob spoke uh, last week about uh, the finality of Scripture and that the Word is set in stone, and and now it is set in stone about this this topic. And since that's true, the most unloving thing a person could do is feed into this lie that God will not enact justice. That the Christian can live however they want to live because in the end God will forgive them uh, of whatever uh, in the end. But, But what did Paul say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it you see many christians fall into or or many people who call themselves christians fall into some very uh, different categories of theology many fall under what you could call the Beatles theology that says all you need is love and that love is all you need or you could fall into what you call the tina turner theology which is what's love got, got to do with it Now, where I think we ought to fall into is somewhere in in the middle here. Love, as I said earlier, is the overarching theme of Scripture. But what the world calls love is not all you need. The problem with with the Beatles theology is that those who subscribe to that, what they call love is actually not love at all. Because 1 Corinthians 13.6 says that love does not rejoice in iniquity. The unloving thing to do would, would be to let people continue living a life that results in their eternal destruction. The loving thing to do is to present warnings using God's authority and so to help them spend an eternity in the presence of a loving God. So those are uh, what I would think to be some of the main objections that those on the other side of this issue might have. and, And as we can see, they are easily answerable. Any questions, any comments to this point?
2: Pulls Jesus out of the historical context that he was in, almost as if he was just talking to us as a culture. Yeah. And we forget that he was sent to a people that there was a foundation already built with a lot of the things that God had said was right and wrong, what was sexually immoral, or what was acceptable. And so when Jesus talks about Sins are in that category. Now we pull, you know, we, we say, well, he never directly addressed it. Well, that's a, 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 in addition to a lot of the other things that you've said, it misunderstands the culture that Jesus was sent into.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep, the, the Jewish leaders of that day messed up quite a few things, but I would have to imagine that was something that was pretty clear in, in their day. So uh I don't remember what, who I was talking to, but. Um, I said you, you cannot impose 21st century problems into a first century historical context. At that, it's not going to answer everything, all the specific things that, that we might th- think it needs. So, thank you. Anything else?
2: Sir? I was going to say, just if we look at our culture, and this is something I think we need to be very mindful of, is that when you take people outside the Lord's church 30 years ago, 40 years ago, they would agree. Subject and something that is emerging that we need to be aware of is increased pedophilia too, hmm. and that is something that is gaining acceptance, and it has the same beginnings as this movement did decades ago, and we need to be mindful of that. That it is going to be the next big problem uh, in this long list of ices that you mentioned.
0: There. Yep, and I uh, that, that didn't bring it out in this class, but uh, I was when preparing for this, I was listening to to, to one guy, and he kind of said the same thing there's the same justifications for homosexuality. If you accept all of that, because we all have our own orientation and, and stuff like that, he said, what are you going to do with the pedophiles? They can't say, this is my orientation. This is what I was, uh, this is what I, I knew I was going to be from a young age. We don't accept that, so why do we accept, accept something else? Yeah. Also, whenever we um, talk about accepting this lifestyle, you've probably heard it, it's 2020. And, and my reaction to that is, so what? (laughs) Over and over I've talked about how morality is not determined by by what year the calendar says, that cannot make sense at all, All anything else? don't always equal feelings, or or vice versa. Another one, uh, Proverbs uh, 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and always acknowledge Him, and He'll he'll direct your paths. Anything else? All right, now as we we begin to close, let me present you with a, a trivia question. Look at this list. Here are seven sins, stealing, murder, partiality, homosexual practices, greed, lying, and abortion. Someone tell me, which of these sins is the worst one to commit? They're all equally bad in the sight of God. There you go. The, the, the question, which is the worst, I would say yes. Each is, is the worst sin that you, you could commit. Um, and, and, and we often teach that. We often teach that that no sin is greater than another. All, I'm, all I'm, I just want to urge each of us to live that out as well. Uh, you see, we, we we come down very hard on the hot-button issues. Divorce, abortion, homosexuality, uh, stuff like that, that we, we stand strong on those things. And rightly, we, we, we do so. All I'm saying is we just need to be consistent. You, you, you can have a congregation full of people who uh, teach the truth on marriage, divorce, and remarriage, but look the other way whenever their brethren mistreat their brethren. And does that make us any better than a congregation... That, that that treats each other with kindness and respect, but members have some questionable marriages. One, one wrong does not right another wrong. So uh, we have discussed the, these moral issues this month to stand firm on not treating someone differently because of their uh, external qualities or, or, or circumstances, to stand firm on the fact that, that God always has hated the shedding of innocent blood, um, that the word of God is, is finally insecure about what it says, uh, or that God, uh, he views homosexuality as being an an abomination but let's not let those things be more important than than keeping other things in check there's no such thing as a little white lie there's no such thing as just being a little greedy Uh, sin is sin so let's treat it that way so uh, I I thank you for your attention this month this evening or throughout the whole month next month uh, David Jones is going to be uh, directing our minds towards the word in the evenings Uh, but I again thank you for your attention Uh, in participation throughout these classes in July. Any questions, any comments before we close? always constantly trying to be more godly, literally be more like God. If we're really trying to do that, we don't look at one sin as being greater than another, and we teach them exactly the same. All right. let's, uh, let's close with a prayer. Our Father and our God in heaven, Lord, you are so great and awesome. We thank you for every one of your attributes, your love, your mercy, your justice, uh, your, your, your kindness. Lord, we As we read your word, we constantly know about more who who you are, about more who we ought to be. And Lord, I thank you so much that you have seen fit to reveal these things to us. Thank you for all the blessings that you give us, Lord. Thank you for each soul that is gathered here tonight. Uh, As we go throughout our weeks, that we uh, keep you in our hearts, keep your word in our hearts. uh, So we may may know how to not sin against you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus most of all. He is the greatest teacher that has ever existed. He is the greatest man that has ever walked this earth. And he gave us the greatest gift that anyone could ever give through his blood. And it's through his name we pray. Amen.